Um, it's very mossy. And there, it kind of looks like what you would see at a grand library, like stone benches and big trees. And there are other people having their medicine with books and bottles near them. And, oh, I'm seeing the back of the pharmacy. And because it's glass, I can still see like people coming in from the front. I could see the thousands and thousands of rows of glass bottles that have poet's consciousness in them. In my vision, there's the same kind of um, reverence as like being in a library. Like nobody's talking in their normal voice. They have like very inside voices. Hello, Steve here, and welcome to another episode of The Poetry Pharmacy where I invite someone I like and admire to bring in a poem they think we should have here in the pharmacy on our shelves, a poem we might want to prescribe to others and also for ourselves, maybe a poem we carry around in our existential first aid kit. We read the poem, we chat about it, and then I present another poem from the pharmacy that I think might work well with my guest's choice, a sort of complimentary elixir. If the visitor to the pharmacy is a writer, we conclude with them reading a piece of their own work. And this week in the pharmacy, I was delighted to have not just one, but two really great conversations with the poet and teacher Finn Menzies, who has just brought out his incredible debut collection with Fog Machine called Beautiful Odyssey Don't Yearn. It's hot of the press. Check it out. I'll put some links in the episode notes. The first time Finn came into the pharmacy, we chatted about Audrey Lord and Francine J. Harris. It was such a lovely conversation, but I screwed up a little bit with the mics. And so Finn very, very kindly agreed to come back. And this time we talked um, we talked about the brilliant Max Ritvo, whose untimely death a year ago now. Uh, we're still mourning. And... I wanted to also read Finn, a poet I'm excited about at the moment, called Jim Ferris. But we start with Max and his poem, Afternoon. Afternoon. When I was about to die, my body lit up. Like when I leave my house without my wallet. What am I missing? I ask. Patting my chest pocket. And I am missing everything living that won't come with me into the sunny afternoon. My body lights up for life, like all the wishes being granted in a fountain. At the same instant, all the coins burning the fountain dry. And I give my breath to a small bird-shaped pipe. In the distance, behind several voices haggling. I hear a sound like heads clicking together, like a game of pool played with people by machines. Thank you, it was great reading, great to hear it in your, in your voice. So this poem Very, th- I mean, it's we'll 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 give a link to it um, on the episode, but it's 
it's worth being able to see the poem because the poem is it's a, it's a sort of a, th a, a quite a narrow poem it's almost like a tree i mean you've got a bird in the poem and 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 the poem the shape of the poem is is um it could almost be like a tree mm -hmm. and with that in mind i'm i'm wondering what lines in particular might call out to you in this poem like like the, like like a bird in a tree, are there particular lines that really are calling for your attention? Yeah, I think the first stanza and the fourth stanza. Mm. It's also kind of funny because one of the things that my intimate circle knows about me is that I always forget my wallet. Okay, uh -huh. and so and so that feeling of like your body lighting up with muscle memory especially about wallets is very like for me very visceral right, right. so there's um, already that kind of personal association there yeah um, the thing that interests me about that first stanza is those words my body lit up mm -hmm. right to explain that uh, or to give words to that sensation because I know what that sensation is like as well because I'm also incredibly absent-minded and I'm always, I, you know, I literally every two seconds I'm looking for something or other. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not sure if, if, I, if I was writing this poem, I'm not sure if I would have ever used the words my body, if I ever said use the words lit up. I wonder why he uses lit up. I wonder what that does for, for mm -hmm. the poem or for, the, for us as we move into the poem. Or what does... Why do you think lit up? Is that your experience as well? Um, because for me, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like an emptiness. It's almost a loss. It's a sort of a sense like, like, a, like an amputated limb, you know, and kind of that sort of feeling like it should be there, but it's not in a way. Um, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on those, just on that phrase, on the lit up? I like what you said. I feel like it you are explaining to me what it's like for the body to, to light up. Like if you're experiencing an arm that's not there, that phantom arm, I almost see like the, the outline of it lit up. Right, you know? right. Um, I like it because I feel like we are so conditioned to listen to our mind that has language, but our body also speaks to us. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. so light is a way to say I'm speaking to you, but it doesn't have a voice. Right. So the body is speaking to this person, but it's not telling it something in its ear. Yeah. 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 Almost so like Morse code. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And interestingly, that sort of ties in a with poetry in some level, even though poetry is voicing things and it's using language, there is, there is a Morse, there is Morse code in poems. Mm -hmm. There is the, there is the rhythm. I mean, there's a kind of a Morse code rhythm in, 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 in a poem, right? Yes. The, the rhythm of the body, the body of the poem has a rhythm to it. Totally. I think that's one thing. Ah. Yeah, Steve, I think that's one thing that poetry can give is like 
it speaks to your topical intellectual self, but it also speaks to the subtler self too. So both of those mechanisms of communication are happening in poetry, which I like because I, I want to feel more connected to that body part mm. of myself. Mm. And what happens to you, you? What happens to your body? Maybe I'm going to ask you to read it again, that my body lights up for life. Um, mm -hmm. And just notice what, I'd be interested what no happens to your body when you read it. Uh, because okay. it's such a, I think you're right, it's such a powerful, um, vital part of the poem. Do you want to just read that part again? Yes. My body lights up for life, like all the wishes being granted in a fountain. At the same instant, all the coins burning the fountain dry. Yeah, it's quite emotional for me. Mm -hmm. Um... I get the sense of um, when you walk out of a movie and then your eyes are blinded, you know, because of the daylight. Like, that's what I feel like. It's so luminous that like it would like burn me. And to imagine somebody like on the precipice of their life ending, having that much hope that their their eyes would burn out. It's just... Um, it's very inspirational for me. Uh-huh, uh -huh. Like there's a lot of vital force in it. Yeah. But I, I also wonder, as with the vitality of that, that flash, that, mo that, that moment, right, where all the coins burn the fountain dry, it's almost like an explosion to a certain extent, that again and I think the poem does this in some way it treads a line between this sort of um, the the beautiful um, life-giving vitality and mm -hmm. then also something and and then and then the the, the kind of the sucking um, annihilating vitality of death mm -hmm. right yeah I think that's also what makes it so moving is that there is such a power there and in that image of all the coins burning the fountain dry there's something quite scary there as well yeah even though all the wishes are being granted that's lovely but then all the coins burning i mean they're burning that's that's painful yeah yeah i think what's inspiring to me is is facing one's death and stepping into the fact that it's, you know, like a star or a comet, like it's gonna burn and then be done. Hmm. You know, there's like a real, um, yeah, I think what I feel inspired by is that it's brave, you know, to let all your wishes burn. Hmm. And you're right, there is sort of like a, like a scary, like the light's about to go out or like, or like supernova kind of feeling. Mm. But the speaker is just allowing that, you know? He is allowing that and he does give his breath then to the small bird-shaped pipe. But 
the poem could end there. And I think if it ended there, it would be like a kind of a feel-good poem. It would be like, oh, okay, you know, um, brave Max Ritfo, cancer sufferer since the age of 16, you know, um, what a brave guy. But I think what makes it not just a poem of beauty and of bravery, but also of just utter brilliance and humanity is that he then goes further than that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just this sort of explosive supernova um, and then it's all over. Uh, he goes then actually to quite a dark place. Yeah. With these, this horrendous, every time I hear or even kind of think about those heads clicking together, there's something so horrible about that, right? And the voices <laughs> haggling. I mean, what are they haggling about? It's like, who's, who's going to have him? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what is the haggling for you? That, you know, in the distance behind several voices haggling. They're haggling. <laughs> okay, first of all, I think that you make a really good point that it's not just like this blazing spiritual plane, but he brings it back to earth, that it's like a real ordinary life, you know? And I think that's, that is what makes the poem so brilliant. Um, I think that's what it sounds like, uh, earthly egos when you're in between worlds, like just the regular chatter of humans and like what they care about when they're self-centered and have all their beliefs in front of them. It sounds like haggling. So like, I am at the fountain and then at the last stanza, I'm actually in the hospital bed, like in the consciousness of Max. And I'm listening from like deep within, like all of these, all these people around my hospital bed trying to make decisions about my life. And it sounds like haggling. Ah, right. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice, a nice image. It's another layer I hadn't actually thought about or seen there and then of course the poem goes into a sort of almost a theological dimension which as we're going to be moving on to the next poem i think i think perhaps we could leave that for um for further discussion at another time um yeah. but but that is that is that that next layer right yeah it, it's it's it, there's some kind of you know a whole questioning of faith and divinity and the place of suffering. I mean, all of these huge, huge eternal mm -hmm. questions are in those last couple of lines. I know. And I love that it has words like playing pool yes. and machines. I was like, <laughs> I would never have that about, you know, purgatory or heaven. Like I would never have those associations. So I was like, whoa, what's out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it makes it it makes it human, then, doesn't it? It makes it something we can all, um, yeah, very much identify with. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you for. Thank you for bringing that in. That that definitely that's 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 one that will stay in the pharmacy for, forever. Um, so let's let's move on to the poem that I'd like to read to you. Yay. Facts of Life, um, fantastic poem. And I thought we 
before I'd read it, before I read it, I thought I might also read just a, a stanza, not a stanza, a paragraph from an essay that Jim Ferris wrote for the Georgia Review, which I'll I'll send it to you. I'll also I'll also put a link into this. body but as a body unto itself. Poems are bodies, Vernon asserts, quote, they are drops that break off from the mass of a poet's body, congeal, take shape and become bodies themselves. When a poem speaks, it speaks with its entire body, not only with its voice but with its rhythm, pace, shape and tone as well as its denotative content. Mm. That's a great quote. So let me read um, Jim Ferriss's Facts of Life with that in mind. Facts of Life. Where's the glory in it? I am not a survivor. Whatever the state of my legs, whatever happened there, know this. I walk down the street whole. Whether I limp or stumble, cane or crutches, roll in a chair, this is my body. Look if you like, this is my meat, substance, but not essence, essence, but not fate, sum of all its particles, back to the big one, but particular to no single interpretation in a cosmos of possible ontologies that we all try to limit with all our soft might, but which accepts only the most temporary instructions. You, sir, explain that birthmark. And you, how about that nose? We are not signs, we do not live in spite of or because of our facts. We live with them, around them, among, like we live around rivers, my cane, your warts, like we live among animals, your heart, my brace, like we live with, despite, because of each other. Hmm. That was also a very beautiful reading. Thank you. Like the Ritfo, this is a very moving poem. I found as I was actually reading it, particularly the first part where he talks about, you know, I walk down the street whole, whether I limp or stumble, cane or crutches, roll in, roll in a chair, that lovely whole roll, mm -hmm. right? Beautiful, it's, it brings such beauty and music to the, to the, to the roll of the chair, right? This is my body. Look, if you like, this is my me. All of that, I am, I, you know, I feel, I felt myself kind of really welling up reading that. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly moving, that assertion of wholeness. Yeah, I feel like it's similar as the first poem in its 
um, self-awareness, you know, like in its acceptance of its wholeness. Um, and yet, like the Ritfo, it doesn't it doesn't sort of simplify or make easy for us the wholeness, right? So even when he says, for example, he says, "This is my meat, substance, but not essence." He then there's that pause, but then he actually kind of qualifies this. He says, "Well." Well, this is my reading of it. He's almost saying, well, well, in a way it is though. It is your essence, right? Your yeah. meat is your essence. So he goes, okay, maybe it is essence, but not fate. Yeah. Um, and then he, so there's all of these sort of qualifications going on. Um, he's not just, it's not just, it's not just like a sort of a, some sort of bumper sticker, you know, like some sort of strap line, like I am whole. <laughs> um, there's there's something more complex, more problematized about it somehow. Yeah, I know, and he says that right. Like we are not signs, mm. and yet you know? of course we also are, <laughs> right? Yeah, but I think he's asking us to read in multiple dimensions, mm -hmm. the signs, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet, yeah. wouldn't you say that also he recognizes, or certainly I recognize that because of the way our eyes process signs, shall we say, that we cannot help but also sometimes read quite simplistically. So for example, you know, um, I've seen um, some of your fantastic YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And in some of your early videos, um, you signify um, something different to the person I'm seeing now. Yeah, I look totally different. <laughs> right? Um, so much so that I, I can't really... It feels like they're two different people, even though I recognize that, 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 that this is you. Mm -hmm. But to me, it feels like when I think of that person who I saw in the early videos, that's kind of like, if you were to tell me now, oh, yeah, that's my sister. Yeah. I, I would be like, okay, that's how you did it. <laughs> yeah. You got your sister to do those videos, and now here's you. Yeah. Um, and and this so uh, so in a way that's me reading the signs quite in in a very simple binary fashion in a very simple like that was your sister female this is you male yeah I can't help that I know I don't think anyone can help that I'm really appreciating the analogy here because there's something essential no matter what happens to the casing, but then also just like how he's qualifying the essence, the essence is influenced by the casing too. They are in relationship. I think that's what we're looking at is like, you're not just and or, sure. but you can tune your instrument 
to seeing the relationship. Mm. And that in that way, you're always whole. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, also maybe what he's saying is that your perception of yourself, even if it's a fragmentary one and even a conflicted one, as it often is for many of us, uh, maybe for all of us, uh, your sense of yourself has a kind of organic unity to it. Yeah. Um, so even though my sense of you, the sign shifted, the fin sign shifted, um, I imagine that for you, your inner sign remained constant through those videos. Or did it shift too as the casing shifted? A little bit. Right. You know? Um, I, yeah, that... That essence, the, the inner sign, for me, reminds me of yoga and like how no matter what position you're in, your breath will follow. And sometimes your breath is shallow and sometimes it's deep, but it's always your breath. And so my inner sign is, it, sh it does shift, but it's always the thing. Does that make sense? Breath, yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And that takes us back to Ritfo's breath. Yeah. Which he gives to the either willingly or unwillingly, who knows at, at our end, whether we give up our breath. <laughs> yeah. That final breath is, you know, or whether it's, it's wrestled or wrested from us. Um, hard to know. And he doesn't know either, of course, writing the poem. Yeah. Coming back to Ritfo for a moment, I just wanted to mention that particular stanza I mean, this is a poem I've learned by heart. And what I noticed learning the poem is that because in that stanza, you know, um, my body lights up for life like all the wishes being granted in a fountain, all the coins, all the wishes being granted in the fountain at the same instant, all the coins burning the fountain dry. When you learn it and when you say it, this is rather what happens for me because it's a long line because you almost have to say it all in like one winding snake-like fashion that when you get to the end of the line the line has robbed you of breath yeah totally mm -hmm. um, and so you're actually you actually are in you he's almost either consciously or unconsciously forcing you to embody that moment when you would have to give up your breath mm-hmm you can, as living creatures, we can then take the next breath and we can have it back. <laughs> yeah. But for him and for all of us, there's going to come that moment, of course, when we don't get it back. Yes. Which is I scary. Gosh. I wonder if that was <laughs> like his subconscious or, you know, like that there's definitely something to that where like everything is burning at once, including your breath. And then the breath that you have left for the small bird pipe is so frail by the time you get there, unless you take a big one. <laughs> you know, but when I read it, I, I felt a little bit winded. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's sort of, it's, it's a poem that almost enacts a, 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 death, a death state. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why I like it so much. I, th I chose it partly because we're all afraid of it, you know? Yeah. 
And so I wanted to give us some, a little instruction from someone who knows about it. Yeah. And maybe for good reason we're afraid because it's, uh, it doesn't feel good to find one's self without any oxygen and not being able to take any more in. Yeah. It's a depri- it's a it's a it's probably the the most extreme deprivation we will ever face, right? Yeah. I'm taking a breath. <laughs> <laughs> Take a breath and yeah. come back for a moment to facts of life. Um, this beautiful ending. Again, I love the fact that there's this. Um, This very wholehearted and very pragmatic understanding of what life is, right? We're living with, around, warts, you know, the the phrase warts and all kind of comes to mind, right? Mm -hmm. Among, despite, there's that fall on the, 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 the stress on despite, and then because. Mm Mm-hmm despite because yeah that's what being alive feels like <laughs> in what way Where, how, what's the despite because for you for me um, like I was listening to Alice Notley in an interview and she was saying she's trying to write out of limitations and one of the biggest limitations is her her human body you know like you can't be with everything because you have to live within the constraints of your human body and so despite is like we get hurt we have nerves we have to take in oxygen we have to eat but then also that's how we that's how we connect and transcend and then have all these other things because because of this limitation yeah we learn so much yeah yeah it's the limitations yeah the limitations and also the messiness um which i think is a good way to sort of segue into your poem because i think i think there i think you touch on this as well in 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 your poem um if you're happy to to read okay Every night I get on my knees and pray our human, bodies will become words. Words are dependable old ships, hard exteriors and empty stomachs. You can stick your hand down a word's tidy throat, pluck some of her memory like wildflowers that grow on a highway. Our bodies are a bay stirred up after rain, the waviness of them keeps us from giving shelter to another. We cannot be stuffed like taxidermy. If I could, I would open the flute of my body, clean up the slime. The body is such an unpleasant hotel and let you take or leave a gift. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, so I wondered if we might start 
talking a little bit about, I suppose, kind of the messiness of the body, because this this is definitely a line that um, spoke to me when, you know, the the times where where I've read this this section of your of your long poem, um, your interconnected series of poems. If I could, I would open the flute of my body, clean up the slime. The body is such an unpleasant hotel and let you take or leave a gift. And I suppose in a way, there's part of me that's almost sort of, almost wanted you not to go there. It's kind of like, let's just stay, let's just stay with the flute. Oh, that's so lovely, <laughs> right? And it's like, do we have to go to the slime and the unpleasant hotel, right? Um, so you get that. I, I'm aware of there being almost that sort of, which makes me then think of how, how often I'm in conflict with my body, you know, in conflict with its, um, with its sliminess. I mean, a few weeks ago, I was, I had like a, 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 a uh, sort of stomach bug and um, I was vomiting and I hate vomiting it's yeah, if there's God. one thing I do not I will do anything not to do it was vomiting and I was really pissed off with my body yeah. for regurgitating all of this you know rotten food out of my mouth <laughs> right totally <laughs> I, yeah, I feel I have the same sentiments about the stomach bug. I get it about every other year because I work with children and they're disgusting. I mean, they're lovely, but they get me sick all the time. And so I have the same feelings about that exact where I'm like, this is so wretched. And that, yeah, I'm pissed off about my body too for being slimy. (laughs) That's my despite and because. Uh-huh. Yeah. And is that where the fantasy almost becomes the fantasy of prayer and prayer is a kind of a fantasy or a, a wish a sort of, you know, uh, wishful thinking. You know, of every night I get on my knees and pray our human bodies will become words because there's something cl- there is as you as you say there's something clean and dependable about words, right? Mhm. Dependable yeah. old ships, hard exteriors empty stomachs yeah there's no bile in those empty stomachs (laughs) yeah i think i'm lamenting two things like one is my limitation as a body because you know as a buddhist i i gotta say i'm not the best buddhist because i am super lustful and thirsty for enlightenment where i can get from my small self to my big self or the self and so I'm lamenting the slime because I'm like, get me out of here sometimes. But I'm also lamenting how we're forever lonely, you know? Um, like, I really wish someone could get in here and be in here with me sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they can't because I have living cells and I'll die. <laughs> mm, mm, mm-hmm. I wonder also if... Po- part of the messiness here for you and this is where I think it also ties in particularly if you read the essay by Ferris where he talks about as a you know author 
pretty much all through his childhood, he had to have a number of operations mm-hmm. um, on his legs um, to kind of, uh, you know, sculpt and um, mold them in ways so as to reduce his pain or give him greater mobility. Um, so he's had to go through the messiness of mm. surgery being carried out on his body um, in, in a sort of a transformational way, which is something you've had to experience mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I wonder what, what's that like, having to submit to that because you, you the mind wants as you say you want we, we you want something and but then the body in a way has to go through the pain of that transformation right yeah <laughs> um oh that's such a good question it's such a beautiful thing. I think there's like a taboo about asking a trans person about their body transformation. And I just don't want that to be something that we're considering. Um, okay, so the feeling that I get right now is like the band of brothers feeling. Like when you are in battle together forever, your identities are intertwined. And uh, going through surgery for me was letting my body know what my inner sign had been feeling for all these years that I was carrying with it. And so like, it's almost like they got to face each other and now they are bonded together. And so I feel actually much more like a physical entity after surgery than I I felt more abstract before that. So you were maybe more in the space of words before that Yes. And now you feel more in the space of, of b- body. Yeah, the slime and the messiness makes more sense to me now. Uh-huh, yeah. And yet the incredible thing about your words is that they don't, again, like all three of these poems, they don't um, shy away from sticking your hand down a word's tidy throat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, we touched on last time, which I want to come come back to again, because I because I was really interested in what some of the things you were saying last time we talked. How that words tidy throat is gendered in this yeah. poem. That it is the the word. It's it's her memory, um, and I'm just really interested. I suppose of, about this question of you know is can is is gender in a way inescapable um, in the sense that in the sense that here words have a gender um, or maybe to put it in another way could this could could this word be a he could it be for you a, a they. Why, why does it need to be a her? Why does it need to be her memory? I feel the same way that I do in therapy when my therapist asks a question that <laughs> reveals to me my consciousness <laughs> that I wasn't there yet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I see that now. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean... I mean, this is not I a leading question. I'm asking this purely from, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to, like, lead you, which I think sometimes therapists do. And I'm not doing that. <laughs> I just want to state that. I am asking this from a, a place of, of ignorance, of wanting to, like, curiosity. I, I, cause I, I, because I, I don't know what the answer to that or your answer to that might be, right? I'm not trying to lead you in towards yeah. an answer. Um, I trust you. I know. I think there's two things. One thing was probably like there's probably um, an overlay of gender in this book because there was for me in real life, you know, and so um, instead of it being a binary, it's almost like waters like sloshing into each other. Right. Um, but then the other thing is that for me, maybe it's because of my conditioning that I've lived in a binary society, but all things have like a, a yin and yang essence, you know, and that we probably have different associations with them, you know, but for that moment I was getting the very like yin sense of what language is. Yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. Hmm. I just want to ask you about that last line. Um, I would open the flute of my body, clean up the slime, and let you take or leave a gift. Um, I get the feeling reading your your body, <laughs> because that's what that's what um, beautiful Odyssey don't yearn amounts to, right? B O D Y. Mm -hmm. it, it literally is your body um, in, at so many different levels. That 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 beautiful Odyssey don't yearn is is perhaps the gift that you are giving us. Um, yes, do you see it as a, as 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 is it given as a gift? Is it given maybe as a gift to us? Is it given as a gift to yourself? Both. Yeah, maybe both. Mm -hmm. I also think it's like obligatory. Like I had to, like I, I had to right. give it, so. Mm -hmm. Right, right. What gift might we, your readers, leave for you? Because it's interesting, you, there's, there's a suggestion in the last line that you are letting us take something, but then you are also opening yourself for us to leave you, there is something very reciprocal going on here. What is it you would hope a reader would be able to leave you? Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. Okay, so I think I'm wishing that I was like just language that my body worked like language in that sometimes when I read poetry the way a word is being surrounded or used or loved is so new to me that the word becomes new and then my eyes are new and so if there was a way that you could use my body like a word and give me the way you see it or your associations or the way you would use it in context, 
that would make me new, you could leave that. I really love that chat with Finn, and I hope that some of that love found its way into your earbuds too. As ever, it would be great if you could do us a review on iTunes. That would really help publicize the podcast. And don't forget, we're also on Twitter as at Poetry Pharmacy. If you're wanting a prescription, we're more than happy to provide one. Just DM us or tweet or tweet us. Or you can also email um, thepoetryphamacy at gmail.com. As well as making two visits to the pharmacy, Finn also very kindly donated a signed copy of Beautiful Odyssey for me to give away to somebody listening to this podcast as part of my 52 Poems in 52 Weeks fundraiser for the Safe House Education College Fund in Kenya. So if you'd like to enter the competition to win that copy, I'll put the link to my 52 by 52 page. As always, thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves until we meet again in the Poetry Pharmacy.